at some point you just have to give in my main motivation was don't embarrass yourself and that's not a great way to play golf over the years i've developed what i would call like a, a mental bag of tricks things i can go to when i need them and welcome back welcome aboard another part train i'm one of your hosts evan singer i got matt Cermak with me what's up ev great to be back great episode really great episode in case you guys are new we help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We impact the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour pro to a golfer like you and me. And today we have John Sherman from Practical Golf, the author of Four Foundations of Golf. We're going to get to that. But first, this is our first episode recording while I'm in Scotland. And I've been wearing Roback around town. And I'm not oh, going to lie to you, sir. I've been getting looks. People <laughs> like have been good wondering. Looks? Like, like, oh, like yeah. buzz, the buzz is building kind of look. Yeah. You know, it's funny here in the UK, at least in the small town of St. Andrews, Scotland, athleisure isn't a thing. And Tara and I have been laughing that people just aren't comfortable here. Oh. There's not enough athleisure. There's not enough stretch. Now, of course, they got to stay dry. So there's a level of waterproofing over what we've been wearing with a lot of Gore-Tex. Yes. But if you guys haven't hopped aboard that Roback train, or if you have and you think it's not the time to get more, you're wrong because they just dropped a ton of USA gear. I'm wearing two USA Ryder Cup polos to local pubs cheering on the USA team. Guys in Europe cheering on USA. Is this good? Wearing the Roback polos. I'm pumped. So go to Roback.com, enter the code train, and get 15% off. As always, guys, thanks for hopping aboard that Roback train. Okay, sir, John Sherman, I think one of our favorite guys in golf, one of the favorite follows on social, an amazing book at practical.golf on Instagram, at practicalgolf on Twitter, just always provides really great actionable help and I guess tools to get out of your own way. You know, he goes about it in a bit different way than us but I think it's super supplementary and super helpful when we come together. And he played in his first U S mid-am and things kind of fell off the tracks a bit. And I'm super grateful that he was open and honest and we dug through all of it. And yeah. I think the listeners, whether you're playing in a tournament or even a bucket list course, we touched on like I'm having here. I think it's super relevant to any level of golfer. I mean, everybody has their elevated stage, right, Av? And John gets into this. Yeah. So if it's the U.S. mid-amateur for John Sherman, you know, it could be the nine-hole men's league, you know, for somebody else who's, let's say, a nine handicap. They First time playing in a nine-hole men's league, right? Never played in a tournament before. First time playing in the mid-am, right? Everybody has these elevated experiences. And you're right, Av, it was awesome. I mean, you know, when he was kind of reflecting on the moment, the pressure, playing in a USJ event, which is really interesting stuff because there's nothing like it. I mean, I got to thinking about when I was playing in big tournaments or at first American Junior Golf Association, that first college tournament, and you're playing on a tough course in tough conditions, and you just can't keep it together. <laughs> you just can't keep it together. So we, I think the conversation was awesome because, we know, I mean, John shot 68 in the qualifier. He's a fantastic golfer, had a tough week, but a lot of it we talked about out of his experience. And I don't think we realize how important it actually is in those kind of foreign atmospheres or foreign events when the pressure and the stakes are high. So we really dig in to what went wrong, but we draw on a lot of the good. 
too. And I just think what John is so good about is so good at is putting things in perspective for the aspiring player, whether you're zero handicap, eight handicap, 12 handicap, a lot of takeaways here, guys, three times having John on the show. Not bad. I think you guys are going to love this episode. So if you do throw us a solid on Apple podcasts and Spotify, give us a review, hop aboard our newsletter at thepartrain.com. Send it out every Monday with a mental tip trick or insight we are thinking about that can help you stay on track in between podcasts. And speaking of in between podcasts at the part train, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, we just hit 80,000 followers on Instagram. I mean, guys at the home of golf and we hit 80,000. I mean, literally the night line. before my birthday Plays on his birthday too, gets called night before <laughs> my birthday in the Russick's hotel overlooking the 18th. And we hit 80,000. Not Success to mention leaves a clues. fucking <laughs> rainbow went over the first and 18th hole when I woke up on my birthday. Are you kidding a me? Of, a lot of buzz. A lot of buzz. I know there's a lot of people wondering how that round went. I will continue to share more content on social and we'll probably do an episode later about all these rounds I'm playing. But for now, guys, thank you as always for hopping aboard. It means the world to us. No matter how quickly or how much you think your train falls off the rails or any negative thoughts or irrational thoughts you think when the pressure mounts, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. John Sherman, this is your third ride back on the train. We're pumped to welcome you aboard to dive into some tournament competition, specifically with the Mid-Am. We're pumped to have you on board, my man. Happy to be here. Uh, happy to complete the trifecta, the three-peat, whatever you call it. <laughs> yeah, she, the, uh, on his way to the Grand Slam. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if we, if we do this in a calendar year, who knows what can happen, guys? That's um, rarefied air, John. <laughs> I just want you to know that. There's only a few. Uh, I appreciate um, that. Before we dive into the Mid-Am, and we're going to give people context on what the Mid-Am is and how you get in and how it's different than the USAM and all that good stuff, because even I forget how it all works and the differences. But first, we thought it'd be interesting to ask you, why do you play? Why do you play golf? And not just tournaments, but I think it'll be interesting context and jumping off point for the competitive side of golf for why you play the game. Have you ever thought about your why? Yeah, I've, I've thought a lot, a lot about it over the last 25-ish years. If I really had to put my finger on it, I think it's because... I love battling against myself. <laughs> There's this like twisted part of me that loves to like go to, I don't know, a dark place, a tough place and kind of fight against all my demons and whatever that is that come out on the golf course and then overcome them. I played a lot of sports as a kid. Some of them were team sports, but I'm definitely a more more of a lone ranger type person. I like working alone. I like doing things alone, despite being married and having two kids. I love being around them, but my wife's always funny. Like when I get some alone time, I'm like totally fine with it. And she's like, she's like, you're so used to being alone. I'm like, yeah, I don't mind it. Like she can't do that. So I, I think the solitude and the numbers attached to it, like everything about golf, I think was perfect and difficult for me at the same time. But a lot of it's just, you know, testing myself and seeing what I can do. And that's 
been a bad thing for a long time. I think I have a much healthier relationship with the game now and how I deal with competition. But yeah, if I'm being fully honest, it's like I, I go to bat. I'm not really competing against anyone else out there. I'm really just competing against myself. When I come out ahead, I like that. <laughs> we should get to that later in the conversation because I actually think that's a great point. I've made the same mistake and said this before, John, where it was the same reason for me. I liked the the meditation part of it, but not just walking along, noticing things, being calm and happy. It was the meditation of having to come back to something and watching my own negative thoughts and feeling proud of myself when I battled out of something or 100%. hit a great shot despite it. But that can actually be a trap too, because when you start to base your experience on your mental abilities and you feel like you let yourself down, which I'm sure we'll get to, because I know sure. you referenced some of that in your posts that can actually spiral the opposite way. So I'm excited Absolutely. to get to that. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword and I, I, I don't think I have it solved completely, but I'm better at it. But yeah, I think just also realizing in the end, like it is just a game. And <laughs> like when you get off the course and like it's over and it's like, all right, well now I can go back to my normal life here and not be a psychopath. It's like, it's like we're covering so many different things right here that we wanted to get into. It's like, which way do we go? Because that well, I, of, I can tell them, I mean, is it really just a game, John? And yeah. Then, in the <laughs> in the context of my mid am experience, like qualifying for it the day, I like just absolutely played awesome. And then the actual experience of playing there and struggling, like, yeah, I dealt with both sides of myself and then the positives and, and the negatives that came out. It, it's, you know, I think when you turn up the knob and pressure like that, like it's going to come out more. I don't, you know, for context for everyone else listening to this, like when I play around with my buddies and I'm just out there like playing a quote unquote recreational round, the stakes aren't this high. Like I'm just out there to have fun. Do I like playing? Well, of course, but it's more of the enjoyment part of the game. But yeah, when I compete and the stakes are higher and higher then yeah, I've got to go to probably a deeper place and get a little bit more focused and, 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 you know, there's more on the line. So yeah, things get a little more intense. Well, I think this is going to be such a fun episode because of you and the way you answered that question, why I play golf really kind of gravitates toward, let's just be honest, tournament golf, high stakes yeah. golf. And you've worked your whole life to get to the point where you're at. And it was such an amazing accomplishment to qualify for the mid-am. I was talking with my brother, John, my older brother, Joe, he's played in two mid-ams two in the last five years. Nice. Uh, he's played in the USAM. Um, it's funny. I'm the only one in my family not to qualify for USGA. <laughs> uh, US juniors what, for what Mike, that USAM like? for pet. What does that make you feel, <laughs> sir? That's tough. <laughs> but here, but, but I, I texted Joe because I, I told him we were talking with you today. I said, Joe, how would you sum up the mid-am and, and USJ events? Like the feelings, what is it? You know, what makes it different? And he goes... There's USJ events and there's everything else. He goes, and the way I look at it and the way people, what I feel, and I think a lot of people feel is you feel the prestige, you feel yep. the opportunity and you realize real quick, it's the best competition in the world. Talk about that, John. Maybe talk about what you felt when you got to the event. Yeah. I mean, I, I quickly transitioned from, you know, winning medalist at the qualifier. Like, I never thought I would have a USGA medal in my life. Like that is a truly mind blowing thing for me. 66 um, too, Jen, was it? Uh, 68, but thank 68, you for, yeah. <laughs> it was four under. You took, um, you took it deep. We like to make deep. our guests feel welcome and <laughs> yeah. good when they start um, on the train. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went from like, oh my God, look at what I did to, 
oh crap, I got to play in this thing now. So like I, I had a lot of legitimate anxiety the few weeks leading up to it. Cause you know, I listen, I, 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 I try to be open about obviously my experience in golf to help other people. So a lot of people knew I was playing in it and I'm like, all these messages being like, can't wait to track you. And I got like people in my golf course. And like with each person who told me they were going to watch, I was like, Oh God. So I, I genuinely had a lot of anxiety leading up to the event. But when I got there, when I like drove down the road at sleepy hollow and you see like, they've got like the USGA signs up and there's like pictures of Stuart Hagestad and all the past champions as you're driving up, I actually kind of calmed me down. When I got there for the practice round at sleepy hollow, you know, I was excited. I was hitting the ball great. And and I felt like, okay, I'm here. You know, I actually feel better being here. But like, yeah, the prestige of it, like you show up, everything's like well rehearsed. They've got like your welcome package, your gifts, you know, they're taking pictures of you. And the USGA just does an incredible job of running the event. I mean, Sleepy Hollow had this reception for us Thursday night that was like, bonkers like really nice there was lightning in the background over the hudson river so that made it even more dramatic and that was kind of a foreshadowing to what would happen to me um but yeah it's just you you feel you definitely feel like this is not you know i compete in the met uh section near in new york metro and the mga we put on they put on phenomenal like top tier events as well but yeah there's there's another level there where you're like okay i'm with the big boys now you know, Stewie's over here practicing and these other guys. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to play against these guys. Like, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Can you give people a little context, John, on what the U.S. Mid-Am is and how it's different than <clears throat> like the USAM or other big tournaments? So I guess the best way I could describe it is like it's it's like the Super Bowl for everyone I'm not like most people. I was not a great competitive golfer as a junior. I'm a bit of a late bloomer. Like I didn't start playing like well enough to think about these things until I was in my thirties. But for the most part, like the, the age limit is, is the most important thing. So it's 25 and older. So we don't have to go up against college kids who are in their prime, who a lot of them are going to turn professional in a year or two after. So it's really for a lot of people who, you know, there's some past playing pros in the events. There's a lot of people who got their amateur status back who were like, used to be like, you know, mini tour players. There's some of those people in the event. There's a lot of like past great collegiate golfers who still like to compete. And then there's some people like me who are just kind of like, Hey, I got good enough to make it to this thing. Like I'm just happy to be here. So it's a really interesting mix of great golfers all different age groups. You know, there's some guys in their fifties and sixties there, you know, I'm, I'm 40 now. There's a lot of guys, my age or some younger guys. So I got to play with a few different sets of people in practice rounds and obviously in the event. And yeah, everyone's just like really excited to be there. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's the super bowl of golfers who are still competitive, but just a little bit older. <laughs> and, and, and John, just to confirm the format in the event, is it the same as the USAM in terms of stroke play into match play or anything else yeah. the listener should know. So or, yeah, or just rehash play, that a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You play two 18 hole stroke play rounds at two courses. So Sleepy Hollow is technically the host of the event, but another golf course, Fenway, which was so good and so hard, was also the co-host. So you play one 18 hole round at Sleepy and one 18 hole round at Fenway. And then the top 64 make it to match play and they have a playoff obviously to determine those final spots. So 264 people make it. I actually have my thing that they gave me when I qualified. It was over 6,000 people tried to qualify this year. It was the most popular year ever. So 
I think the handicap limits like three or four, something like that to be able to play in one of the local qualifiers. And then that's how you get in the final 264 from 6,000. And then they whittle that down to 64 for match play. That's super helpful. So let me ask you this, John, you shoot a 68, you medal, you're in. Yeah. yeah. Is the anxiety rooted in being watched and the other, like the followers and the tracking and wanting to, you know, because I can relate to this and so can Serm, like there's a level of our golf performance that can go one of two ways. We can either feel like we totally blow up, at which point we'll have great learnings for our platform and our our audience. And there's also the other fun aspect where you could kick ass and pull yep. some great learnings from that too. Was the anxiety rooted in that or was it rooted in the big stage, your competitors who you're playing against? What Where was the anxiety coming from? No, yeah. To be honest, I, I, I wasn't afraid to play against those levels of golfers. Like I felt like I made it, I belong with them. I'm just as good as, you know, always I'm not as good as Stuart Hagestad, but like, I, I feel like my game, I can strike the ball just as well as most players there. Like I belong there in terms of my playing ability. Now it was kind of mind blowing to me that I've gotten to that point. Cause I was, I wasn't always at that level, but I felt comfortable going there and competing because I have played a lot of tournament golf over the last seven, eight, nine years. It was more the fact that I had made it public that was giving me anxiety. A lot of tournaments I play in, like, no one really cares. Like, what does anyone care that I'm playing, you know, one of our major tournaments in the New York metro area? Like, no one really cares. You know, when I said I made it, that I'm just, like, flooded with messages and everyone's, like, everyone's super excited for me because, you know, I've, I've been trying to help other people with their games for so long and people were excited to see me get on the big stage. And everyone was wishing me well. So I guess it was the anxiety of me going there and just like, I, I was I was afraid of embarrassing myself. Like I didn't want to go there and shoot and like blow up. I mean, I didn't play well, but I didn't like shoot a 90. <laughs> but yeah, I think that yeah. was my main thing was like the courses, also the courses I was playing, the green complexes were really difficult, like elevated, lots of runoffs, lots of tiers. And if I'm telling you what my prototypical golf course is for my game, like that's not it. Like I had a lot of issues with greenside wedges leading up to it, trying to work on them. And I was just, you know, I was looking, I'm like, I'm like, you could really make a mess of these greens if you, if you don't hit your driver and irons well, and you have to rely on your wedges. So I felt like, again, these are all just like irrational brain coming out, but yeah, I was worried about making a fool out of myself. I was worried about my wedge game being exposed. And it wasn't quite pleasant. But again, once I got there, I felt better. But that to me was was the root of it. It wasn't like competing. It was more of like the publicity. And that's my own fault for doing that, for putting it out there. Well, it's, a, it's, it's amazing, John. When you go into a big tournament, knowing that there is a weakness in your game, right? And then you, you realize the layout of the course is, could truly expose that. Yeah. That's the challenge to manage, right? I think so, um, yeah. Because it's hard to say, you know, anybody, even the great players where you're dialed in completely, but if it, there's an area that's not great right now and you're playing a golf course that could really expose this, that does some crazy things to your mind. Yeah, and, and the funny part is is like in the actual tournament, it's not my wedges that cause me to play poorly on the second day. I just couldn't get it in the fairway and the rough was six inches. It was raining. It was wet. And you, you can't play out a six inch rough. 
<laughs> like I don't care how good your wedge game is. Like I just I, I could be wet. Six yeah, yeah it, it was it was hard. So yeah, it, it's I find these things interesting. Again, when you turn the pressure up, things start to happen that you're not you know used to. So I've been fine with my wedges in competition because I I hit my driver and irons well enough that I don't usually put too much pressure on them. But like yeah, I'm thinking I'm looking at these courses. I'm like you're gonna be nervous. You're not gonna hit the ball as well as you usually do probably. So now you're gonna have to rely on this more. And yeah, that that kind of puts some stuff in your head that's not usually there. And and that's one lesson I always tell people is like when you embark on something that you are not used to. And I was not used to playing a USGA national event. Like you have to prepare for something to be different and, and something unexpected to happen. And that definitely happened to me. So, and before we dig in, Stuart Hagestad, you've said his name a few times. So people know, keep me honest. He's won three US yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. He won this one for his third one, which is obviously a remarkable achievement and, and winning a, a national championship in match play. Cause in match play, like that, I don't happen. believe Matt. Yeah. I mean, you give me a a four round stroke play event, like usually the the cream's going to rise to the top most of the time, but a match play for someone like him to emerge on top three times, like that's, that's special because he had close matches and he just comes out ahead somehow. Like that's, it's remarkable. He's going back to the masters. Uh, yeah. He was the, low am in, in the masters in 2017. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, yeah. He's, he's playing a lot of majors. Then he won the, uh, the crump cup after that. Like, yeah, the guy's he's, he's living the, <laughs> the, the amateur aspirational mid am life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Ab, so, do you want to talk to John, maybe about the lead up of day one? Going, yeah. Let's give people going into the round and cause John, we're, in we're case you at. don't know. Mental game roundtables are some of our most popular formats where we can, we've done this with a 20 handicap. We've done it with pros and now we're doing it with you where we kind of dive into the round. We pull out highlights. We unpack why or why not things happen. What we learned, how would you describe the start? Was the start was day one Saturday? Yeah. Okay. Um, So I know there was weather delays, confidence, lack thereof. I mean, long story short, like we knew there was going to be big weather problems teeing off. So my my first tee time was at Fenway on Saturday at one ten, and the morning wave got to play a full round. They had no issues, but we like you looked at the weather radar, like there's big thunderstorms coming. So I tee off at one o'clock. I hear thunder in the distance, and I'm like, you know, how many we're going to get? What two, three holes in? So that wasn't a great feeling. But you know, I I, I wasn't that nervous on the first tee. I've hit a lot of first tee shots in tournaments. You know, we had our target. I picked it out. I blocked it a bit to the right. There, there was OB left. I got a unfortunate bounce from the car path and I got stuck on a tree root and I didn't want to end my golf career. And we just, on the first hole, at the, yeah, the first <laughs> hole. So like, let's pitch out sideways here. And, you know, kind of made a, I made a nervy double to start. And then that, this course is so intimidating. It's just Fenway's hard. I would describe it as a tee shot and approach shot golf course, which I would not say for most golf courses. Like you have to have both parts of your game working well there. So yeah, it was an interesting start in the fact that like the second hole is this uphill par three with a steep runoff. It's like 200 yards and I hit it short and I'm left with that like tight nippy wedge shot that I was scared of. And I kind of bumped a pitching wedge just to kind of take the nerves away and, and made a nervy bogey. So I'm three over my wife's watching me. A couple of buddies are watching me and I'm like, Oh God, like just my mind started to get a little fast. And John, real quick, when you say yeah. obviously super tough golf course, tee shot and approach, 
golf yeah. course. Does that mean high, super thick rough? Does that mean OB? Does that mean water? Yeah, all of it. All of okay. it. There's, ele- there's ele- elevated, elevated greens. greens. Elevated, yeah, it's just it's a hard quick. golf course. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great golf course. There's OB on a lot of holes. The rough was thick, so you got to hit your tee shots where you need to. If you miss, you're not you're gonna have a really hard shot at the green. And the greens are just very well protected with runoffs. They're elevated. You know, I say anyone wants to make a tough golf course, just elevate the greens and have like runoffs all over the place in multiple tiers. Like that's the best defense. Rowing a couple oh, of these about Royal Dornick. Yeah. So yeah. So again, you need to execute like like sleepy is not as hard off the tee, I would say. So yeah, I went to the third hole, 470 yard par four. Hook had a horrible tee shot into the trees. Um, and I'm just like, you know, in my head, I'm like, when 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 things get tough, they speed up for most players, and they do for me. And usually, I can slow them down. So we get to the trees, and I have like 200 to the hole. And we see an opening, and like the the day before, I was kind of bragging to my caddy. I'm like, I'm world class at the low hook out of the trees, and I had my opportunity, and I hit this five iron, and I hit my mark. The ball disappears right before the green. I thought it was going to go in a bunker. It reappears and literally just misses the cup and finishes two feet behind the hole. And it was just such a relief. It was easily top three, maybe best shot of my life. Made the birdie. The horn blows. We go back inside for a couple hours. And I could just like calm down. Like I just have to hang out with my wife and my buddies for a while, knowing that I'd like kind of stop the bleeding And I just kind of settled down. And then we went back out two hours later and I just like, you talk about confidence, like just played great. I made three birdies. I just came out like on the hardest part of the course, like hitting great shots, making a lot of putts, just feeling confident over the ball, striping it. And my last shot was on a par five. I made two birdies in a row. I'm sorry. I missed, I'd missed the birdie on the last hole by an inch. So it was and just come off like a really good stretch of holes. I bomb my drive. I've got 230 in and I just step over my hybrid and I'm like, I'm going to smoke this thing. And I hit one of the best like towering, like high draws in my life hits the exact spot. I needed to rolls to 10 feet. I'm like fist bumping with my caddy. There's tons of people watching and I just missed the Eagle putt. I make a birdie. So I go all the way, you know, from that tough start to back to even par, but darkness hit because we had so many weather delays. And this is really the interesting part to me. Like I got so excited and it was so hard not to get so excited because this was new for me. My phone's lighting up with text messages from friends, like social media, like everyone's like, let's, you know, everyone's like super pumped. I'm super excited. So I went from like, don't embarrass yourself to like, wow, you're, I'm like tied for 30th right now. Like I'm in this thing. I am I not worthy. Play. And then I am yeah. worthy, right? Exactly. The, and <laughs> the, the hook out of the trees, it's just like, oh yeah, I do belong. Wait a minute. After the first yeah. two, I was like, what am I doing right now? What am I, what am I doing? I mean, <laughs> I just you talk know, about day, that though. Like that's Saturday. Like- <laughs> yeah. It was, it was so exciting for me to play the type of golf. I knew I could play, you know, hit my drives. Great. My aunt just peering my irons, making standing over putts, knowing they were going to go in from 10 feet. And it just felt really good. But unfortunately, like, again, because this was new territory for me and I was inexperienced in, in a championship like this, I got too excited. I got a little too um, relieved. I'm like, oh, I could perform under this pressure. I, you know, I, I kind of like, it was just so hard not to get excited about it. And, and I don't scold myself for that. It was my first time, 
But, you know, I went to sleep that night, like super excited for the next day. I'm like, let's go. This is going to be exciting. And then, you know, wake up at 630 the next day and Sunday was just like, what but John, for the, for the <laughs> listeners, as we go in, how many holes did you have left in round one the next day? Uh, so you were so even I, through yeah, how many holes? I was even through 12. So again, okay. like, it's not like I had gotten in the clubhouse even. It was just. But it was a it was whirlwind exciting. of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. It was exciting for me to like go out super nervous and like that weather delay absolutely helped me. And I'm not making excuses for the weather at all. Someone in my group made match play. He was like the 220th ranked amateur in the world. This guy, he was a really good player from Panama actually. And he handled the weather delay incredibly well. But yeah, it was, it, and I knew teeing off the next morning, I had a really tough stretch of holes to go to. And I was like, part of me was like, I wish I just could have played them in that moment because my confidence was sky high, but I got pulled off the course. So yeah, it was just, it was a pretty crazy start to it, but hit some of the best shots of my life under a lot of pressure. And like, that's, you know, one of the things I'll look back on and be proud of for sure. All right, stay seated. We're going to take a quick break and I'll get you right back to the show. I've been talking about Whoop a little bit these past few weeks. They're our new partner. I'm so excited about them, not just because of the partnership for us, but more importantly, because the partnership for you guys. I can't imagine my life without my Whoop band anymore. I get so excited to look at my sleep stats when I wake up, but they just dropped this brand new feature that is incredible. It is called the Whoop Coach. It's powered by AI. And I literally asked it. Some of you might have seen me post it on, on Instagram. I literally typed in, is golf good for me? And it listed out like five reasons why it's great for your health. And it actually even used my own data from rounds that I've played and I've entered golf into the app. Now, the coolest thing, I don't even have to enter golf into the app. It knows that I'm playing golf somehow because of the movement on my wrist. And so it knows my health data based on the round and the days that I play golf. And it's really good for my health. So the fact that I would have never known that if I didn't have a whoop band blows my mind. Everybody needs a whoop band. Rory McIlroy wears it and he smoked us in the Ryder Cup. What else do you need to know? So go to join.whoop.com slash partrain. And guess what? You don't have to spend a dime. I'll get you a free whoop for a month. No risks. If you hate it, send it back. No money down. No problem. But I'm telling you, you won't. It's literally changed the way I think about my own health. So join.whoop.com slash partrain and get yourself a free whoop for a month. All right, let's get back to the show. Were you pumped up about the low hook and that? Some people might hear that and say, God, made the birdie, this miraculous shot out of the trees, and then you get pulled off. And then you get cold and tight and you lose that momentum. Yeah. But it sounds like you came out of the gates more confident. So what can you think of a a shift? Was it um, going from defensive to offensive? It wasn't necessarily that. It's just I think I had some time to let my the nerve settle. Let the speed of my brain settle down. Like okay. usually I can slow myself down in most tournaments, but the that's the thing I, I often tell people is like, you cannot replicate the speed that you feel in your brain. Like when you compete yeah. in other sports, like there's actual speed of competitors, but in golf, there's the speed of your mind too. So yeah, I think just kind of hanging out 
in the clubhouse for a while and just being like, you know what I am here for? Like, this is fun. Like chatting with people, hanging out, like, this is great. And I think that just kind of put me in a good place to go back out on the course and just play golf. And that's what I did. I, I played, you know, my, my wife, unfortunately had to go back and, and pick up the kids because of the weather delay. So I'd only one buddy was watching me and, and he was like walking around me and like, I, he was just like fist bumping. I'm looking at him as I make these birdies and we're like, yeah, let's go, man. So that was cool. But yeah, I just, I, I, I think, again, I got, yeah, I think I got fortunate with that initial weather delay. I don't know what would have happened if I'd stayed out there after the birdie, maybe I would have been fine, but I think it settled me down a bit. Well, John, your situation, right? So now you're going to the 12th hole or the 13th hole. Yeah. Um, and it, it's like somebody playing in a shotgun start, right? Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. And correct me if I'm wrong from what you just said, you've got a really tough stretch of holes. This is maybe a tough tee shot to start. Uh, uh, no, actually the 13th hole was actually not the 13th hole is like 150 yard par three, but the massive tier pin was tucked back. So it wasn't an easy shot, but it was kind of like, all right, I'm going to just, but it's nice to hit and, a short iron on yeah. the first swing of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and we, the weather was fine in the morning. We knew rain was coming later. So that day I had to finish the round at Fenway. I think we teed off at seven 20 and then I knew I'd have to go immediately to sleepy hollow and tee off at 11. Meanwhile, the guys who had finished in the first wave on Saturday, they didn't have to play at all this day. They yeah. got to just hang out. So we got a, we got a really bad end of the draw. So yeah, I tee off on the 13th hole. I just tug my nine iron a bit into the rough, um, hit my chip eight feet past and miss the putt bogey, you know, no big deal. But then on the next hole, you know, 480 yards, OB left, trees right. You can't bail out anywhere. And I block my drive. And here's the thing about six inch rough that's really wet. <laughs> it's really hard to elevate the golf ball. So like my only play was to try to like go over the trees and like, I just couldn't get the ball. I got stuck in the rough and made a triple it was bad and then i had a 245 yard par three next hole bogeyed that i think i went par bogey anyway it just like after like i clearly lost it i was nervous i was tight i was hooking my tee shots like everything that was in sync the day before was just gone and i was struggling and yeah the six holes honestly went by in like a snap of a finger yeah. And then the last hole, I got stuck in a bunker in like the worst possible spot and make a double. And I look at the scorecard, I'm like, oh my God, I just went from even to eight over in six holes. Like I went to my caddy, Will, who's a great player in his own right, Byron Nelson award winner in college. And my reaction was like, what the hell? Like we were, we were eating breakfast, like, and trying to recover to go to sleepy. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like It was just, it happened yeah. so fast and it came at me so fast and I just couldn't nothing I could do stopped the bleeding. Like I just, you know, when you're stuck in that rough, it was just, I'm like, I'm, it, it Don, just what, happened. What, to talk us through that stretch of holes. Like, and it, it's just so good for our listeners. Like what you got a great caddy, a great player. He sounds awesome. Yeah, I've got and, everything stacked in my favor. Right. <laughs> it, it's, but you're going to have bad holes and like, what are you, what is he saying to you? Or what are you saying to yourself? Cause again, you love to battle, but nobody yep. loves to battle through triple bogey. And remove. Yeah. But, it was just, but it's honestly, just part of what we do. So yeah, talk, we talk did. That. We did everything we could. Will was incredibly positive. We went through every shot and picked the good targets. It's just, it's such a small margin of error. Like when you're stepping on a tee and I've got a 440 yard par four in front of me with trouble on both sides and bunkers everywhere. And I would just gone, bogey triple bogey it it's just it's not like i was defeatist on the tee but i was just a little tight 
And then I tugged the driver, like, you know, the driver's one to two degrees closed at impact. I missed the fairway to the left. Like, that's all it takes. It's just and like you, this. And little, then the rough this, is diabolical. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just stuck in the rough. I actually parred my, I made a great par on my fourth hole. I'm like, okay, that's something. <laughs> but yeah, I'm battling. Like, I'm not giving up. It's just, it's hard. You know, when you play, it's very hard for me to explain, like, just how hard, like, the USGA sets up a golf course and it was wet. So it wasn't as hard as it could have been, but like, you just know you can't miss. And when you do miss, like you are going to be scrambling and some of the best players there do make these incredible pars. I just was not one of them that day. You know, it's funny, John, how the stuff that we both talk about on our various shows and, and platforms, it's easy when you're feeling good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick my target. I'm gonna go through my routine. It's kind of crazy how quickly it can unravel, and how your brain will automatically go to panic mode. How do I fix this? What do I need to do? And you suddenly lose sight of everything that got you there. And a lot of that is, if this was a normal tournament, if this was something I had been playing in before. I, I think I would have been okay. Like I wouldn't have been so fast in my head, but again, it was uncharted territory for me. It, it's also like the pendulum swung too much. I got so excited Saturday and Saturday night, and then it swung back very quickly in the opposite direction on Sunday. And again, I, I couldn't, I was not in control of that. It just happened. I wish I had a time machine, but I don't, but that's, you know, if I ever make it back into this event again, like I'm going to learn from that for sure. I'm not going to be, it's none of that stuff's going to be as novel to me anymore. So I don't think I would react the same way. If I hit some good shots, I probably wouldn't like get as excited and my poor shots, I wouldn't get as down as myself, which I can do in other rounds. That's the the fascinating thing about golf is like, it, it feels the same, but it's not. So John, you come off the course, just kind of in a back to the whirlwind right yeah Sitting, so we gotta, probably, we grabbing a quick eat. lunch yeah. with your yeah <laughs> with your caddy and then you and then the worst part is is like i'm looking at the weather radar right and i'm like oh my god like armageddon's coming for us so the weather i've never played i've actually been very fortunate i've never had in all the tournaments i've played i've never had a weather delay before so this was like another expect the unexpected and that's was unexpected so we go to sleepy and it's starting to rain i'm looking at the weather radar i'm like we're about to get pounded by rain and the usga is like thunder get and, out there thunder and yeah. lightning or just rain rain like okay. very and the course is how through. wet for context already pretty wet pretty wet <laughs> it had rained you get, a lot you mentioned on the moisture rough, so but yeah this is a situation where the usga is like well, as long as there's no thunder lightning we got to get yeah this exactly in. yeah it, they were panicked i think and, they were yeah. really worried about the the entire championship like actually getting in because the forecast wasn't any better the following day okay so they were like you're gonna go out there and i'm like okay so you know we're, we're on the first day at sleepy hollow it's just pouring rain and honestly part of me was just like this sucks like this was not what i was hoping for like i i was i got you know, I, I did not tee off in the best mental frame of mind. I don't like rain. I don't play well in the rain. Give me 30 miles per hour wind. I would have been like, yeah, let's go. Like I, I can, I can beat other people on this, but I, again, if I had a time machine, I, I wish I could have been more excited, but it was hard. Like it's just pounding rain. Like, and I'm like, this is the golf be... course is only getting longer. Yeah. It's going to get longer. Like the, it's just, 
Yeah, so I go bogey, par, double. So I'm just like, Ugh. and then on the fourth tee, I just hit a dreadful drive that just, I just couldn't, I wasn't gripping the club well. I didn't switch to my rain gloves yet. Just hit a horrible drive that went nowhere. And I'm like, I'm all right. Now I've got like 220 into the hole from the rough. And then they blow the horn. <laughs> and then we got to walk in the clubhouse for like two miles, sit there. And I'm just like, oh God, like, and we don't know if we're going out there or not because the forecast is so unpredictable. And then an hour later, they're like, you're going back out. And it did clear up and I just couldn't make a par. And I think I got to, I think I got to the ninth hole. I doubled the eighth, which is a really hard hole. So just making bogeys everywhere, double on the eighth. I bogey the ninth and I think I shot a 44 and I go to my caddy. I'm like, I'm like, Will, this is getting a little embarrassing, buddy. This is not, you know, this is not what I wanted. And I just kind of took a deep breath and we're both like, you know, you can turn this around. Just like, let's, let's focus on the back. And I, I played well enough on the back. I think I shot two over and we had a great finish. The sun came out, like the weather cleared up and the last five or six holes at sleepy are so magical. So I was able to like, get out of my, holy crap, what's going on. And just kind of like settle down and being like, you know how to play golf. Let's just finish this out and have a good time. And yeah, it just, that stretch, that first six holes at Fenway and the first nine holes at Sleepy, I, I wish I could have those back. But they, yeah, that was a bit of a disaster. It was just, it came at me fast and I couldn't slow it down. Eventually, I did, but the damage was done. So yeah, that that was tough. But you know, I made a really good par on the 18th hole, which is brutally hard. There, I made an eight footer, and I still even pump my fist. Like I don't give up. I I I did not give up as hard as it was. I didn't pack it in mentally. Like I fought as much as I could and that felt good. But yeah, I went 78, 82. Like that's not what I wanted, especially if I, had, you know, with what had happened on Saturday and I'll learn from that for sure. But it, it was, yeah, Sunday was a really, I was so exhausted by the end of it. It just had taken everything out of me with the weather delays and the walking around and just being in the rain there was some unpleasantness there for sure, which I was kind of like, well, that's, you know, I didn't want my first US Mid-Am to go like that, but that's the way it goes. Like, again, a guy in my group made match play. He fought through all of that and I watched him and I learned a lot from him. Really impressive stuff. Like there were no excuses from him. So that was- you learn from him? I just think, you know, watch talking with him and, and hearing all the big events he's played in. He's played really well in the Latin American championships. They have some really big tournaments down there. Like this guy was a very seasoned big tournament player on these type of stages. I am not. So just watching him and even the first day, like we were kind of feeding off each other, like his round didn't start off great either. And we both started making a lot of birdies together. And I was like, oh, I can hang with this guy, 220th in the world. And then the next day, I saw the difference between the two of us. We could hit the ball just the same. But I, I saw him in the biggest moments in tough bunker shots. And then like, just, you know, you see something in players like these and they just kind of handle the moments. And he made some bad, I think he doubled his 14th hole at Sleepy. So he had some adversity coming down and just watching him like calmly deal with it all. And it was it was cool. But knowing that he had much more experience than me. I think was interesting to watch and talk to him about. So that was cool watching him like just deal with it all because yeah, it wasn't easy. Like we got a really bad draw and he handled it and I didn't. 
All right, stay seated. We're going to take another quick break and then we'll get you right back to the show. I just wanted to remind you guys that we've got a ton of amazing merchandise drops planned coming up for the rest of the year. And the best way, the really the only way now to access the merchandise drops is to be on our email list. So go to thepartrain.com and sign up to the email list. It's totally free. I'll send an email every Monday with just one thought, insight, or thing that we're pondering to keep you on track during the week. But maybe even more importantly, you get access to the new hats. I might even have the greatest ball marker ever made coming out very soon. Thepartrain.com. Join our email list because only our email subscribers now get access to our merchandise drops. All right, let's get back to the show. It is crazy, sir, Matt. We haven't talked about this a crazy amount. We've, we've talked about it a few episodes, but... We've talked about handicaps as a way to separate players, but handicap at a home course versus handicap in tournaments and then handicap and just per overall performance, forget the handicap, in big tournaments. Yep. I think if I was going to try and articulate what you just said and whittle it down, I think there's a level of taking the punches kind of, plodding along as tiger has said so many times regardless of what happens and they just kind of seem to make i guess what i'm trying to ask you john is a 12 handicap listening to this may not relate to that guy who made it through the match play because he's like well i don't have the shots let alone doing it under pressure what do you think that guy had that the 12 handicap can take i guess that's the right way to ask it i think we just need relevant levels of experience at whatever golf we're looking to play. So mm. I, I find a lot of golfers who reach out to me and maybe it's not the 12 handicap. Maybe it's a little bit better of a player. Like, Oh, I'm playing in my first qualifier or first this or first club championship. What do I do? What do I do differently? And my answer is like, well, nothing. You just experience it because there's a, like, as I'm telling you all, like there is a difference in what, you feel how excited you get, how down you get on yourself, all these things when the pressure increases. And for a 12 handicap, that could be playing with strangers. That could be playing, you know, for a $5 NASA with someone you've never met before. So like everyone has different levels of pressure that when they apply to their game, it makes them uncomfortable and strange things start happening. I think experience is so, so important. And more importantly, when you do add these layers of pressure, do you have the right mindset? And what I mean by that is I could have played in that tournament and gone home with my tail between my legs, like being really down on myself, being like, you know what? I blew it. I sucked. I choked. You know, maybe that now damages the rest of my game and other tournaments. But I think I came there to learn, to test myself. And to forgive myself for what occurred on Sunday, because again, that was new for me. So I think, you know, what I see in players like that is that I know that guy has failed and embarrassed himself in tournaments before and some big, it's happened to everyone. He's clearly learned from those experiences so that when the pressure came up again, you know, he's okay making a double bogey on the 14th hole and then, and then keeping it together coming down the stretch. Let's say that was the first time that ever happened to him. He might've folded too and ended up at 10 over par, but he didn't. 
And again, you know, nothing's guaranteed. Like on another day, he could have folded too. Just that day, he made it happen. But yeah, experience is so important in this game. More importantly, like paying attention and and making sure that you are absorbing the right feedback and reviewing this stuff after the rounds and trying to learn from it rather than feeling like, oh, I sucked. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. You know, that that no learning occurs when you put pressure on yourself and that's your reaction. Um, John, I think that's dead on about experience. I just want to ask a little more from a tactical perspective, what you learned playing golf in the rain in tournaments is just difficult. And a lot of people yes. can't relate to it because your goal as a player, as a golfer, no matter where you're playing is to have a good routine and stay in your routine. Well, your routine yep. really gets challenged, right? Oh, in yeah. a rain delay, what exactly you're doing to stay loose, to stay relaxed, make sure you're eating, drinking Gatorade. You know, you might not get a chance to warm up and then being on the golf course in a downpour, how that's a whole other side of a routine. So many checkpoints that most people don't yep. understand. And I, I would say to listeners, go play golf in a downpour and learn everything it takes to just attempt to stay dry and focused. Yeah. It's, talk, it's talk about that, but I think there's, there, there's great learnings there, but it's, I, it's I not wish, fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought, uh, I know Evans in Scotland right now. I went in May and I thought that was going to be my experience there. And I got lucky. I didn't get any rain. So I wish <laughs> in retrospect, I wish it poured on me more. But in playing Scotland, in the rain for been. fun. Yeah. It's playing different. in the rain. It's hard. Yeah. You, but you just can learn a lot though. It's also yeah, different I mean, when it's like warm and rain versus being yeah, cold, cold with when, rain. Yeah. I hate the hot rain. rain. You, the hot yeah. rain's tough because you can't get the layers right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it, <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think this was a double whammy for me because I don't have much experience competing in the rain and I don't have much, ex I had no experience competing in a national championship. So a lot of it was just like, wow, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right. Like on the first hole, it's sleepy. I actually hit it. I hit an okay drive in the rough and I got a good lie and I hit it to like 30 or 40 feet. And I hit, my <laughs> it's kind of funny to think back. I hit the butt 20 feet by the hole. Yeah. <laughs> like i was just like i looked at my caddy i'm like what, what was that the? <laughs> like i i don't i like i did i just don't know what happened and i'm like all right there's a bogey that probably shouldn't have happened and the wind kept shifting like it was a very confusing four holes what did you it teach to... you about just your patience level preparation yeah i mean it's so the, for next the time that, the thing i take away from that is like i think when you increase the difficulty level so high and the pressure level so high and you're willing to put yourself in that moment and be open to the embarrassment and the potential things that can happen. Everything after that will seem easier. And going through this experience of writing about has actually like kind of inspired me to write another book on competitive golf, but not at the high level, just like in every golfer guide to competition. And, and one of the things I started writing about it is that you know, when you do put yourself in these uncomfortable and difficult situations, um, it'll make everything else in golf after that feel easier. So for example, I had my club championship the weekend after that didn't feel like much pressure to me. I just got my ass kicked. I just got my ass kicked in the pouring rain and six inch wet rough at a USGA national championship, like club championship. That's not nerve wracking to me now. I'll still feel some nerves. It's my peers and stuff like that. Or when I go play in my local, you know, events now, I can use that as a, as a badge of honor. Like I got through that somehow. I didn't play my best, but I got through it. I can make, you know, regular golf, not feel as hard anymore. So 
that's one thing that I will, you know, I wish I'd played better through it. Like I wish I had, you know, I could, you always can go back. And like, when I made that double on the third hole at sleepy, I'm like, I didn't know the gust of wind was going to come from the right and blow it just long. Like it just happened. You know, it was a, we thought we had the right club, but the wind was like swirling around. It's pouring rain on us. And like, you're just hoping you picked the right club. And I didn't, you know, we, we picked wrong. It happens, but that that's, you know, again, nothing will seem as hard as that from now on, which I think is great. John, let me ask you about pressing for a second. We haven't talked about it this way, sir, but I've actually noticed recently in some of my rounds I've played here in Scotland, I did this yesterday on the old course for a little bit. Pressing can be very minute. It can feel like it's a little bit of a wind that passes you and you barely even know that it's there. It's just kind of like this under the surface innate feeling of, all right, I just want to like get it on the green or I just want to like, make a par. I just want to like settle in. I just want to like hit my first fairway. Right. But when we talk to every guest we've ever talked to, and when we've reflected on any great round we've ever had ourselves, that doesn't exist. You get really focused on the task at hand. You get kind of into a flow state. You take what's given to you. You make the best decision. You go and you just keep doing that, and then you pick up your head, and you had this great round, kind of like the stretch you described on that yep. first day. Yep. So That's exactly I guess the question is, did you notice any of that pressing? And how oh, do yeah. you start to reverse that silent feeling of the press? How do you get back into the task at hand? Because I think what everybody is wondering, because I'm still wondering, is people can't relate to, not everyone can relate to, you know, I have the game, but I just got the bad draw or I knew what to hit this shot, but the gust blew a little differently than we thought. That's all understandable, right? I guess the question is when they speed up, when mistakes start compounding, when you start to press and you can't get out of it, what do you think are the keys for the average player there to well, reverse the any, trend? I think any player, any player. Yeah, I mean, at some point you just have to give in. So I think on that stretch on the second day, I was pressing and my main motivation was don't embarrass yourself. And that's not a great way to play golf. And eventually I just somehow got out of that. You know, I just kind of was just like, oh, like just, I'm just going to go play. We're just trying to enjoy myself for the rest of this time. I, I, I was able to pull myself out of that downward spiral and just be like, you know what? Like, this is still like in my head, I'm like, you got to stop yourself because I don't know how many times you're ever going to get to play sleepy hollow again in your life, which is one of the best courses in the world. I don't know if you're ever going to play in this championship again. So part of me was had to pull myself out and say enough with this, you know, ego thing of, of trying to protect your score and what people think of you. Cause obviously no one really cares. Like it's not like people are rooting against me and even if they're rooting for me, like they understood. So yeah, a lot of it for me is just was pulling myself out of that and just being like, I'm going to go play golf and try and enjoy this the best I can. And that took the pressure off of me. And that's not always the same answer I would give in all rounds. I think over the years I've developed what I would call like a, a mental bag of tricks, things I can go to when I need them. So for example, when I was trying to qualify and I was that far under par, 
that's not how I dealt with that. It was more of like positive talk and breathing and being like, you could do this, like you are going to do this. And, you know, giving my permission, myself permission, like, Hey, if you blow it, it's okay too. like, just truly being okay and, and trying to enjoy that test. So yeah, I think golf throws like different scenarios at you, but I don't think there's an answer sometimes. And you have to be okay with that too. Like sometimes yeah. you can't pull yourself out of it. Well, because it's like, I think pressing to me is like, it's focused, you know, on the future, not the present. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, you could get focused on the present on a 460 yard par four dog leg left in the rain and still make double. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. There's no guarantees here. Yeah. I think hey, you could, press I think this was present. such, yeah, this was such and also like another thing is like, this was such an extreme example of golf. Like I'm not going to have many other versions of this probably in my, I mean, I hope I do, but like, this was incredibly extreme with the weather and like, just the timing of everything. Like it was a bizarre, it was a somewhat bizarre chain of events. Like, I don't know what I would have shot if I teed off on Saturday morning, maybe it would have been exactly the same, but it wouldn't have felt the same probably. So yeah, part of me was just like, Hey, that happened and that's okay. Like it just happened. Like I can't stop what happened for three, four hours. Like it just happened. Like yeah, that version of myself. Now there's a different version of myself after it. Cause I've had that experience. And then next time, if something crazy like that happens again, I'll be like, you know what? I've seen this before and I can and I, deal with it better next time. Hopefully. Ev, I've got one more question. Cause I know we're getting near time, but you said bag of tricks, yeah. uh, mental bag of tricks, John. I mean, do we have to, to, to really be, to really excel at this game, do we have to be a tr- like a trick shot, trick artist in the sense like you go to a USJ event, you don't feel like a killer. You go to your home course in an event, you feel like a killer. Do we have to trick ourselves mentally depending on the stage and it's usually the greater stage and how do we do it, John? I don't know if I would say it's like tricks in that way. I think of it more like, if, yeah. if you want to play well and like win, like, yeah, part of you needs to have like a bit of swagger and being like, yeah, you're like, I said that at the beginning of the event to my caddy. I'm like, there's some dudes here who are like, good luck playing me. There's probably 10, 20 guys there yeah. who are like, I'm going to make it in match play. And when I do like have fun trying to beat me, like right. that's earned over years. Like you can't just like roll up and act like that. Like I wasn't acting like that. But yeah, you could do that on a lower level. So yeah, I think there's, you know, if you do want to get really good at this game, part of you is going to be like, like I do have a part of me now that's a, a little bit cocky. And I'm like, yeah, I'm that good because I'm going to have to need that cockiness when when I have a few bad rounds and being like, you'll be fine. Like you can get over that. Like you'll hit your driver straight again. You'll hit your irons well again, whatever. But that has to be earned, right? Through like sure. practice, skill development, experience. So that's like one thing. But when I say bag of tricks, it's like, I have different things that I believe I can go to. And every you know competitive golfer or normal golfer can develop these too. It's like having fun with my playing partners, just striking up conversations. Like if I need to go to like some kind of solitude breathing exercises, I got that too. If I need to stare off into the distance because someone's playing really slow, or I've had a bad stretch of holes and just kind of like do a mental reset or that moment of gratitude I had on the back nine and sleepy. If I need to like take a big step back and being like, hold on, like I will not finish this round acting like this because I will regret it when it's over. Like this is a special experience. Great on course tactics. Yeah. My, my routine before each shot, like 
it's all of these things that I've, I guess I've worked on over the years. I'm still trying to get better at them, but like, these are all the things like I draw on when things are going well or poorly, or even neutrally, uh, how I react to shots. That's the bag of tricks. And I think every golfer can develop them relative to their experience and skill level in the game. Yeah. It's funny how it's so counterintuitive, but I just experienced this at Royal Dornick and we were talking to you off air about how I was telling this to Serm. Top three in the world, right? Yeah, everyone raves about that place. I didn't get everyone to play, raves about it. I'm playing it with my wife. We're the last tea time of the day. There's we're gonna have no one behind us, right? But I hit a road closure on a bridge, the only bridge to get there. I can't get <laughs> to Royal Dornick if this bridge doesn't get unblocked. The only other option I had was to go 35 minutes out of our way, which guaranteed we were gonna be 30 minutes late for our tea time. So I showed up about 15 minutes before and I was like, it wasn't even a logical thing. It was just my nervous system. Like I was super frazzled. I'm driving on the other side of the road. I don't want to like seem like we're putting the course out by showing up last minute. I'm trying to get Tara, my wife acclimated. She's not used to playing places like this. And I'm not going to lie to you, John. It was kind of like kind of similar. I, I hit the ball pretty good a few days before at Ely and I get to Royal Dornick and I'm like, I don't know how that guy did that. I don't know what to, my body feels off. I don't know how to swing it. The wind is howling. You know how hard it is to hit a high slice to the right when you've got 30 mile power left to right wind. (laughs) It's really hard. And I remember just feeling down because I was like, Evan, this is Royal Dornick. People dream of being here. No one's here. It's just you and Tara. But yeah. I think the, what's why I'm telling this story and what's important is you made a great point. Sometimes you just have to lean into where you're at because the thing that's most painful about that is telling myself I shouldn't be feeling that way. Yeah, it's it's really okay. Like, what else are you going to do? Like, that's how yeah. you're feeling. And we play bad for different reasons. Things yeah. come up, you know, course, right. situation. And I will logistics. say, John, like, yeah. you know. And the funny thing that I really want to harp on before we let you go is anytime we're ever struggling, it's because we're focused on me, ourselves, right? And how we're not maybe living up to the expectation that we had. We didn't want to, we're playing worse than we thought, it might not even be based on what other people think. It might just be what we think, right? Yep. The minute I started to shift my focus to, and I wasn't really even trying to, to your point, John, I just kind of did. I started noticing, wow, it's just like kind of amazing how we start up here on the top and then you just kind of move down the slopes and you kind of, there's like a lower level of the course and there's an upper level of the course. And it just poetically kind of moves up and down, up and down. And later in our round, we really started to hit some good shots, enjoy ourselves. And I saw the beauty in the place that everybody raved about. It's so funny because I had an almost identical experience when I played the old course for the first time. I was so out of sorts the first four to six holes and really not playing well. I'm like, this isn't what I thought. Like, there was just so many expect. Again, these are not normal experiences. Like the right. man, this, you playing Royal Dornock. Like, these are not your Saturday morning rounds at your normal right. course. 
So you're gonna have to fight with your expectations. You're like, I am supposed to be like experiencing every minute to its fullest because this is a once in a lifetime experience. But for whatever reason, you needed like five, six holes. And so did I at the old course to kind of just be like, oh, okay. Like that's, I could finally let, let that out of my system and be okay now. Like that's, you could not have stopped that from happening. And like, I don't think I could have ever stopped that from happening on the old course. I was waiting my whole life to go there. Like it was hard to deal with, to be honest, like the first few holes. Yeah. So it's just strange how the game does that to you. But I think you need the ability to honestly, like just not beat yourself up and forgive yourself. And then eventually I think you will settle down. I think me 15, 20 years ago, I would have like fought against myself for all 18 holes and not had a good time. So yeah, a lot of that is maturity and experience, but like, yeah, we can't dictate how our rounds are going to go and how we're going to feel like that's just, we, we're not in control of that. A lot of but, that stuff, I don't think. But John, the mental bag of tricks, you know, yeah, you go to understanding how, they, when to lean on them. Get you, yeah. And if you, you, you can do it quicker sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's I mean, hard to get there. <laughs> sometimes they don't work after a hole or two. And then it's like, right. all right, maybe they'll work by hole 10. I don't, you know, there's, there's no guarantees with them. That's, that's the, also the, the thing is like, sometimes they don't work. I think they right. work a lot, yeah. but sometimes it's like, you know, I, I couldn't get myself out of that. And that's okay too. Like, right. That's like, why that's, it's the toughest game in the world. <laughs> it is. It's a really hard game. It's a really hard game. It's not like you were going for a jog around Royal Doorknock. Right. Right. With your wife. Like you can control that experience. You're not going to start like falling over a cliff into the sea and all that stuff. But like, yeah, you can with your golf ball. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, isn't it funny how I think all of that comes down to the simple fact of Ward Jarvis, mental performance coach on the tour of Brennan Todd and many others have told us many times on the show, you can't want your way to the finish line. And so when you catch yourself so badly wanting something, ironically, that's the thing you kind of have to let go of because you can't you can't make yourself have an experience. You can't make yourself shoot a score. You can't make yourself get out of something. You can have tools, you know, and, and figure out, okay, based in this scenario, I have a tendency to speed up. So I'm going to make a conscious effort to slow down, right? That is a tool that you can go to. Absolutely. You can't make yourself have the experience. And I think that's like, that is that right there, I think is so, so huge. For everybody, no, the, I mean, whether it's I, a tournament or not. Yeah, I would say one of the best mental realizations I ever had, I put it in my book too, is just golf tricks you into thinking you have way more control and it attracts people who love having control in their life. And the more you try and control the game in your experience, the more it squeezes back at you. So when you can just let go, like I did at Sleepy, I just kind of exhaled. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to try and control my embarrassment or whatever. I'm just going to let it happen. Yeah, there are moments where you can just kind of like, there's so much power in letting go and being open to whatever happens. It's so hard to do though in certain situations. Again, when the experience is heightened, Royal Doorknock, playing old course for the first time, playing in a national championship, these are harder tasks than a normal round with your buddies. So you also have to be cognizant of that. When the pressure goes up and the expectations go up, you might have to work a bit harder at it and you might not be able to unravel it as fast. So that that's also another challenge. That's a great point. You got to at least set the scene and have expectations for yourself to forgive yourself versus tell your, have the same expectations of a regular round at a bucket list place. That's not, that's apples and oranges. You can't, you can't do yeah. that. And expectations I'll, are so yeah. crazy. 
I've always liked to just kind of smile. Like sometimes in those moments, John, like your bad stretch of holes, big tournament. Man, today's just going to be a tough day. <laughs> just yeah, to, I mean, what are you going to do? Just, like, but yeah, I had say to it, but laugh a little bit, right? Like, yeah, I had to laugh at myself <laughs> on Sunday that day a few times. Like, yeah, we recorded a video when we were walking out after the the, the second weather delay at Sleepy. I put on Twitter because, you know, a lot of people were watching. I just wanted to address them. And I like put out a minute long video just thanking everyone. And we were just kind of like laughing and being like, hey, man, this has been hard. It's It's been tough, but we're going to try and fight and go back out there and have a good time. But it's been really hard. So just trying to acknowledge both. You don't have much time to seize that opportunity because, again, things like things come at you fast. Yeah, but half of this game is just like letting go and not beating yourself up <laughs> or maybe more yeah, than and, half of it and expectations i've learned being in scotland now for a week it's crazy in uh, living in la if it starts to drizzle people are inside no way we're out. going outside yeah. <laughs> here people just throw their hood up and it's so funny my wife and i were joking about it that's how yesterday. most of the country is up. i know like we were joking about it we're like that's a tuesday there that's nothing we're like we expect it to rain every day here it has and so when it just it drizzles, we're like, oh, this is That's this nothing. is great, right? <laughs> but it's just so Serm's gonna love this because of our weather talk versus Chicago. But John, I'm gonna let you um, leave with this. You've done it twice before. We'll let you do it again. Of all the things we've talked about, for people that are playing in heightened rounds, whether it's competitive rounds or just rounds that mean a little bit more to you something you've already said that you want to hit home again so that they leave with, or something we didn't get to that you think is important to say before we let you go. I think that the more I've reflected upon it, just really stressing that a lot of people, and I get these emails and questions all the time, like, what do I do differently? Like I'm doing this X for the first time, whatever that may be, this tournament, this experience, what do I do differently? And I, you know, I, I firmly believe that the more you can look at it, as a learning experience and just being open to anything, the better you will be off in the long run. Because again, one round, one tournament is not enough to prove anything one way or another. You know, plenty of pro golfers show up to majors who are multiple champions and they just have a crap week. It just happens to anyone experience or not, but the ticket, the price of admission to getting better and wanting to be better in these situations is experience and learning. So I would tell people, you know, everyone calls it the growth mindset, whatever they want to call it. Humans have known this for thousands of years, stoicism, everything, you know, it's hard to do though. When yeah. you are in these new experiences, these heightened experiences, do your best to be easy on yourself, open to the possibilities. And more importantly, look back on them and try and learn from them and do your best to like dissect it in a way that is not like, beating yourself up and being negative about it um, because something will happen that you probably won't be happy with. Like it's just almost inevitable in these yep. situations. So yeah, I think that's, that's a key to like all levels of golf, especially as you add more pressure to it. Well, John, congrats on your USGA success, being a medalist Thank in you. qualifier and playing in your first mid-am. We know you'll be back. So this is a, this is a great conversation to have. Maybe yeah, this I, will I, inspire Cermak to be the <laughs> final brother. To make yeah. it in one of the events. It's never, it's never too late. This is the one I could, you know, that could be on the horizon. You know, my brother, Mike missed a playoff in the qualifier by one this year. You never so. know. I mean, I missed it. It took me, this is my fourth or fifth time trying. And I had come cl really close three times beforehand. Yeah. You just, you don't know. It's one day. Anything can happen. Great stuff.
Love it. Well, practical-golf.com. Always great stuff there. Four Foundations of Golf at Practical Golf on Twitter. And I think Practical.Golf on Instagram. But you know we love your stuff. Appreciate it, guys. And keep us posted as the new book is coming into shape. Obviously, we'll have you back anytime and unpack some other things. But I love these episodes because, you know, you you put yourself out there and we know what it's like putting your own game out into the public. It's not easy. And um, we appreciate you talking through it, even though it wasn't the result that you wanted. Because I think we I think we all know this is the way that we can help others and ourselves get better. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be a guinea pig. Hopefully you learned something from what I went through. And yeah, thanks for having me on again. And uh, look forward to chatting again in the future. Sounds good. See thanks, you, John. John.